Hello and welcome to this week's episode of It Depends. I am Daniel Pritchett and I have with me Stephen Overholzer. Hey Daniel. Ben Robin. Hello Daniel. And Colin Neller. Hey Daniel. This week's topic is... The, the secret, secret to success in, in team, team projects. projects. That was very well synchronized. Cute guys. Uh, kind of a produ- provocative title there, um, intentionally so, because we do think it's important. And uh, and it's kind of a little secret sauce of ours, the, the pyramid, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, but even just as we begin this conversation, I think it's really helpful for us. Colin, you were talking yesterday about just establishing this as a category of thing that we should think about and know about. Um, as engineers, uh, myself being one, you know, it's, it's easy to think in terms of systems and code and all those kinds of sort of technical and objective things. Um, and yet there's this other component of my job um, where I have to relate to people and work with them well. So mm-hmm. you want to talk about that, Colin? Sure. I, I think you, you said it well, which is that it, it's easy uh, as an engineer to be focused on just kind of high quality engineering practices, uh, build processes, uh, coding style, uh, inversion of control, just ra- random, like very engineery sorts of things, mm-hmm. right? Um, whereas, uh, th- I mean, th- those are all very important things, and m- maybe those are kind of table stakes for being an engineer is yeah, understanding those things, thing. right? Um, but to kind of take things to the next level, you need to realize that there's a lot of uh, softer things that are less tangible, uh, but that make massive differences, uh, both in uh, the team members' enjoyment of their jobs. Uh, the success of projects, your effectiveness in relating to uh, clients, and those sorts of things. And that's that's what we're talking about today. We were kind of kicking around how to refer to that broad umbrella or category of things. And I think where we landed was the concept of leadership, which in, involves a lot of things, um, just an ownership stake in, in what you're working on, feeling invested in it and contributing and making a difference. Um, but it's a lot of other things as well, like interacting with people, communicating effectively, um, taking responsibility for what you do, those kind of things. Are there other things that fit into this bucket, guys? I'm looking at you, Daniel and Steven, maybe that we should call out on the front end. Speaking of the front end, I was a little distracted. I forgot to mention our Twitter account, <laughs> at ClearFunction with the hashtag it depends. So now that I've got that out of the way. Uh, yeah, leadership. I mean, for me, everything, all of our bullet points on the list came from various books that I've read. Most recently, I've been excited by Extreme Ownership. It's a really good one. I've recommended it to everyone in the room at Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Um, but yeah, it's great. So I agree. I mean, Colin mentioned, uh, I guess, Ben, you mentioned that people and processes are maybe more important than just the software. And I was thinking when you said that, that in my experience, most any successful software project winds up outliving the job of the person who built it. I mean, mm-hmm. when have you not been in a job where you wind up inheriting a system wrote by somebody who used to be there and isn't? That's... I mean, thinking about that really changes the way I do things. Not just I have this deadline six weeks from now, but someone else might be running this 10 years from now, and they're going to wish that it was done in a way that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, so Daniel uh, mentioned uh, the word ownership in that book that he just mentioned, but I, I do think that like a individual ownership is is something that's kind of goes in, into this, the, the ability to take a project that you're working on and feel like uh, it's yours, you know, and to kind of take responsibility for mm-hmm. that. So that's that's definitely part of... Part of what's going on there. Um, another thing that we that's very common in the industry that, that we hear is um, fail fast. You know, uh, we're, we're going to make mistakes, and so um, it's important to realize that that's a thing uh, that we're not perfect. And we, we say it out loud, and everyone recognizes it. That way, it's not a big scary thing whenever it does happen. Right. And in fact, we actually uh, embrace that as as part of the process. And in fact, we try to push it as far forward 
uh, as quickly as possible so that we can learn from our mistakes, adjust from what we learn from the mistake, and then uh, move on past it. Sure. Yeah, and I think the sort of the final component we were talking about earlier is this idea of sphere of influence uh, within the realm of leadership. So um, when I'm writing code or when I'm responsible for a story or a task or, or even maybe an epic, whatever it is, it's, it's pretty clear where my uh, realm, you know, starts and ends. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the more soft area, it, it can be difficult to define, depending on what you're doing, right? And we, we talked a little bit about uh, the tensions there that might be helpful to, to shout out now as well. So for me, when you mentioned sphere of influence, that ties back into what Colin was saying about individual ownership. Um, we all have overlapping influences, and it may be that in a lot of our projects... I may feel that we have a systemic issue that needs addressing, but the, path, the proper path to resolve it isn't me going directly to the person or the, the system to fix it, but discussing it with Stephen or Colin, and I have to figure out how to explain it so that what I'm thinking makes sense and validate my idea so that Stephen or Colin can also understand it and then advocate to ultimately the client maybe. So that to me is, you know, my sphere of influence overlaps Colin, and Colin's overlaps the person who's paying for the project, and so I have to make sure that I can make it make sense to Colin before there's any hope of the client hearing it and addressing it. Yeah, I think the big idea there is that what we're going to talk about here, what we'll lay out in the latter part of the episode, is uh, this sort of way that we work, um, and that if if implementing this isn't in your sphere of influence naturally, mm-hmm. it, then it may f- you may find it difficult to do, uh, but we also here find it so fundamental to working well together and attaining results, which we'll talk about and try to define later. Yeah, I mean, just because a critical problem is technically not your job doesn't mean that you can ignore it and expect things to get better. Right. And on the flip side, I think it's also important to recognize, and again, we've talked about this before, that some things just are. Right. And so you have to figure out a way to work within those requirements, those uh, immovable items where no one on the team has any influence over it. It just right. is. Hmm. Um, and uh, kind of define success uh, in that context in such a way that you still can be successful mm-hmm. without being so uh, frustrated or hampered by that thing that you actually don't have the ability to change. Sure. Immutable constraints will determine how we see our results to what we're trying to achieve. Immutable wow. constraints. That's great. So let's dive right into it, Ben. What What is this pyramid that you alluded to? I, I think the pyramid's really helpful uh, as a framework for viewing working together in teams on projects. I don't know. The, you know, there are sort of five levels of the pyramid. Uh, the first and most foundational being trust. That if you don't have trust uh, for others and that if they don't have trust for you, then it becomes really difficult to work together. Uh, and to make a meaningful impact on whatever it is you're working on. When you have that that first level of trust, though, then you can uh, go through conflict together. And it's, I guess, good to t- distinguish between different types of conflict. There's unhealthy conflict, which we're probably all familiar with and can think of examples of. Um, but then there's also healthy conflict, which helps us to figure out what it is we're trying to do and how to solve the problem. Uh, and so that's layer two. So healthy conflict is layer two. Colin, do you want to pick up with commitment on layer three? Absolutely. I'd love to, Ben. Um, So uh, the reason that we have healthy conflict is not necessarily so that we can come to consensus, um, but it is so that we can align ourselves and everyone can agree with the group's decision. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you don't have that conflict, if you're not able to say your piece, basically, of of why you may disagree with the decision being made, um, then it's really hard to have buy-in. To, to be okay with moving forward to it. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that moves us to our next level, which is commitment. 
Um, if you, you if you trust each other, you can have that conflict. Then you as a team can commit together. Of, this is the direction that we are going as a team, and you don't have that the the person who kind of sits in the corner and said, "I always thought this was a bad idea." You right. know, whenever it doesn't go well, right? Because uh, that, that that's an unhealthy behavior. Uh, we've all done it ourselves. We've mm. we've all seen someone else do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the whole "I told you so" thing. Um, and so if you recognize that you're in it uh, together as a team. Uh, and you all uh, talk through it together, and then you decide together. Um, it may maybe even over disagreement. You may not all agree, but this is the team's decision, and we're all on board with it. Um, past commitment, uh, you can move on to uh, accountability. And so, once the team has committed to th- this as the direction that we're that we're moving forward, the team and the members of the team can be accountable to that decision. So again. Um, one way that I like to say this is that, that you need to be able to step away from uh, from the life rafts on the boat, right? Um, d- don't be thinking like the ship's about to go down. This is not a good idea. We need to commit uh, and be all in so that we're accountable to uh, the way that things play out. Um, and then finally, that, that's what really leads to results, um, that we want to be accountable to those results as well. And it's not the necessarily the results of an individual. It's the results of the team uh, and what the team goals are. Um, which actually is something that we don't have written down as a bullet point, but um, is also important, which is uh, defining team goals clearly in such a way that everyone understands what the actual goal of a project or the actual goal of a decision is. So looking at that base layer, that that first layer, the trust layer, uh, how would you guys say um, you've accomplished building trust in a new team? Maybe maybe you're the new employee and you come into a, a new team and maybe there's trust among others there, or maybe there's no trust because the, the whole team is brand new. Mm-hmm. How have you bridged that, you know, the, broken the ice and started building that trust in new teams that you've been a part of? I will say this is a particularly interesting question for you and I, Daniel, because at our team here, a lot of these folks have worked together in the past, and mm-hmm. we hadn't. We hadn't worked with each other or with them. And so there, we were sort of in this scenario and I think it was probably even before we had talked a lot about the, the pyramid. Right. And yet it's the pyramid still sort of happened, you know, sure, yeah. kind of naturally because it had to. Um, and I think maybe a few practical things. Um, I ask a lot of questions right. because uh, I, I really do want the team to succeed. and I really do want the project or the product to succeed. Uh, but sometimes I don't always know the best way to go about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think showing others that concern that you have, that individual ownership like we talked about earlier, um, one way is just through asking questions like, Hey, I don't know how to do this, but I know we need to, or should I go from here? What do you think? Have you thought about it? Yeah. Uh, and then opening that line of communication has really helped here, I think. Mm. So for me, there's general team building ideas of just trying to build some rapport, meet people, you know, exchange names, yeah. learn things about each other. I've seen people who are really good at that on a new project will find out personal things about you and immediately befriend you. But on a deliverable level, I find it always helps to figure out ways to get quick wins, especially if there's just one new person coming onto a project. If you can figure out a way to give them something really small that they can do and do well, then that makes them feel good, and that gives other people at least one positive thing to look back on and say, oh, this person's definitely contributed. And it can be rough if someone's first assignment is something that takes a month or two. Then that can get mm. to be really stressful on both mm. sides. So do your best to help people make small contributions as quickly as possible. I think also uh, having a core team already in place uh, definitely helps a lot because that shapes the, the the kind of culture of the group from the beginning. Um, just in the way that you talk to each other and about each other um, will also have a lot to do with this. And so, um, for example, Daniel, if I'm always saying, you know, 
I mean, have you noticed that Ben always blah, 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 you know, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. then like you're just going to assume that similar things are being said about you and and it kind of creates this culture of distrust, Uh, right? Um, And so by speaking well of of each other, uh, to each other and being respectful um, and thinking, assuming the best, um, that uh, assuming that someone does have the project's best interest in mind, Mm -hmm. um, then I I think that that kind of creates this uh, momentum, if you will, towards trust and towards respect. Um, It makes a big difference for the team from the beginning, because I think we've all been parts of teams in various levels uh, and and team is a very generic term, but it could even mean like family, for example, like you as a family are kind of a team, right? And so um, there, there may be somebody in your family who like just always is suspicious of everyone else. And just by the way that they talk, they kind of elevate everyone's um, uh, suspicion of each other, right? right? And it just kind of bleeds through. So I think just having that, um, that healthy mm-hmm. trust of each other that we give each other the benefit of the doubt first um, goes a long way as well. I heard you referring to this earlier. You didn't call it this, but it's almost this idea of uh, self-preservation as the highest value that like this, this could fail or, or this will fail depending mm-hmm. on how pessimistic you are or maybe what you've experienced in the past. This will fail. I need to protect myself when it does. Yeah. And it's sort of going into it with that attitude. I, I've referred to it before as like sort of the crab in a bucket syndrome. Like if you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one of them tries to crawl out to the top, the others will pull it down so that it doesn't get out because they want out too. And that's sort of the mindset I think some people can sometimes have. We probably have all experienced that to some degree in our own lives. Um, but it's really, really hard to have trust with, with anybody on your team when you, when you think that way and when you behave yeah. that way. Absolutely. To me, that suggests those people are insecure for whatever reason. I mean, to me, whenever we talk about the pyramid, I often think about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and just the fundamental ideas. If a person is not comfortable and safe, they don't have shelter and food, then... They're not going to be doing a lot of really creating a lot of really exciting artwork or anything like that. People need to take care of the fundamentals before they can really start branching out and getting comfortable and achieving exciting things. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that on distributed project teams. If you have certain team members who are, for whatever reason, personally not feeling as safe and comfortable as other team members, then you get some disconnect, and they can flame out. I think there are practical things we can do. Uh, that either foster trust or distrust too. Like some, like, uh, and we've talked about this before. Videos on in, in um, hangouts, right? Is something right. that can easily foster more trust. Like, you just seem more like a person, and then a voice on a machine, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it's like inherently, I'm I'm more ready to trust a person than I am text on a screen or a voice from a computer. Yeah. Colin, you mentioned assuming the good in somebody. Um, that that's a very intentional practice. Uh, I think it's easy to say and it's easy to agree with. If you're, you know, if you're considering a new opportunity or you're preparing to come into a team, but it's also a very repetitive activity. It's it's something that I mean, because when you go in and you meet you meet a new team or uh, you're building a team yourself and you're bringing more people in uh, to it, you begin building your idea of what 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 the new team members are and what they aren't. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's really easy to try to start making a determination on somebody and including character and skills and abilities and competency, all those things. And, um, one thing I've just learned is, is just having that assuming the good be a repetitive practice, uh, as opposed to just, kind of this subconscious mindset. I don't know if that really goes over as well. I, I think you really have to be intentional. Um, we say stay positive a lot uh, around here as well, and I think that's what we mean by it, what you just said, Stephen. 
Um, and I think that's a helpful way to look at it, too. It's interesting how uh, much time it can take to build a base level of trust, mm-hmm. uh, and especially a, a sort of a deeper level, longer lasting level of trust. Uh, and yet at the same time, you can very quickly destroy a, a stronger level of trust depending on uh, depending on the situation. And so it's something to, to, like you said, be consciously aware of over time, not just a one-time, you know, I've made my deposit forever and I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> now it doesn't matter what I do. Yeah. Yep. Very true. And uh, it kind of goes back to the golden rule is just treat other people uh, with respect like like you would want to be treated, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and if you follow that, then I think trust will naturally be built because people realize that you really are trying to uh, respect them and, and do what's best for them. And Ben, something you were saying earlier with uh, our, we try to leave our video chat turned on, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes when a team's been together for a while, it's, you know, maybe you can be a little more casual if you leave the video off or it doesn't seem, you know, mm-hmm. but it's important as much as possible, especially with remote teams, to relate mm-hmm. each other, re- relate to each other on a human level, and um, so I, I think also just little things like we've we've had a team member in the past that we were working with on a remote project um, who is always in different places, right? And so just the the, the chit chat about, hey man, where, where are you today? <laughs> What's going on with uh, you know? Yeah. Uh, with what's going on, because we, we could actually see like uh, tables behind him or yeah, whatever the it was. Yeah, always different. Yeah, and he, he was always a, you know, a great productive uh, team member, did a great job for the project, but he was always a different place, you know. Right. Um, but I think just uh, taking those opportunities to, to, to call, or someone's cat, you know, walks behind, behind them during stand-up or whatever it is, it's good to take that moment and and interact with them on a more of a human level instead of always just business. Yeah, mm-hmm. if somebody's got to work from home because a child's sick and they Absolutely. get to hang out on the hangout, like that's always fun for us too. Yep. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's it's fun to call that out and mm-hmm. just be more human. <laughs> All right, so the next level of the triangle is conflict. And this is actually what the end goal of, of building this trust is for, um, because if if you and I, Ben, don't trust each other, um, if we then disagree, the way that disagreement looks is going to be very different uh, between if we do trust each other versus if we don't. Because um, you, you, you get negative things like avoidance, like not talking about the conflict is not a good option, right? Um, because we can't align and then commit to a decision if we're just avoiding the conversation because we, we believe different things, right? I agree. And so um, let me ask you guys this. How have you seen uh, this, this conflict play out uh, on some of the projects that you've been on? Oh, man. Uh, one of my first Agile projects, I was a solo developer and a client was on the other side of town. I talked to him about once a week. And at some point, I realized the project was going off uh, track as far as the deadline went. And I realized that I was avoiding the project tracking tool because I, once I stopped to think it through, I realized that my instinctive understanding of what was actually happening was drifting further every day from what the system said. So I guess I just didn't have the energy to go update the tickets because this says it's due in this month and it's really not on that schedule. Mm. But once I realized that, that's now like a red flag for me. Is If I ever find myself hesitant to update Jira, for instance, then I realize it's probably because there's an underlying issue I need to think about and address and probably have an awkward conversation with somebody so we can get aligned again and then commit and move on. Yeah, I can think of a few um, projects where, you know, the overall goal is clear and the direction's clear and even the timeline's clear, um, but maybe the individual story level requirements aren't as clear. People can probably think of times they've had difficulty discovering requirements and then implementing them. And there often is a need to have healthy conflict there right. so that you can discover those things and move forward with progress. 
Um, because, you know, if you just kind of avoid, and I think sometimes our tendency is to avoid uh, the less clear path, um, but it actually impedes the progress of the whole team and project right. when we do that. And so it's just something to recognize and try to do differently, I guess. That's another thing that comes up for me pretty frequently when it comes to doing story tickets in an agile system is trying to find common ground. Like maybe I spent a good bit of time building this thing and it's mostly working and yet it doesn't hit all 20 bullet points in the story. And it's tempting for the client to say, well, you didn't get all 20 bullet points, so keep at it. And I really want to you know, renegotiate that and say, let's take this working part, keep it, lock it in, and then pivot a little bit to figure out where to go next so that we can continue going in a positive direction instead of dragging this one thing out indefinitely. And maybe maybe we've gotten past the point where we've captured most of the value and the few remaining bits don't need to be viewed as top priority just because the whole story was there. And I think, uh, you know, several times when you bring up that it's, it is healthy conflict, it's, I, you know, I think we should claim this victory and move on to mm-hmm. whatever the next part is. We've often done that, and other times we haven't. But the idea is that you know you have the conflict so that you can get to the next level, level three commitment. And so everyone as a group is committing to whatever the result of the healthy, healthy conflict is. That way we can move forward. Yeah, and that's what I feel like with the, the common ground is it's not that I disagree with the client that I didn't mm-hmm. technically hit all the bullet points. It's just that I'm questioning at this point in time on this day and this project, is it really top priority for us to close out the last three bullet points, or can we reevaluate and... Is it clear that there's something else that could be done instead? Yeah, those conversations are inevitable as things change over time anyway, too. So it just kind of depends on the situation. So what about non, non-project non related conflict in the office, whether it's just kind of office culture conflict or it's, you know, between you and a, and a colleague? Um, how how have you guys seen uh, that that play out in in a healthy way. Well, it could be classic things like the thermostat or whether or not the <laughs> door's open or, you know, who leaves the lights on. If you don't tell somebody that you really would like the shades to be down in the morning because at your desk you get the sun directly in your eyes, then you might find yourself building up some resentment against someone that doesn't even know because they're sitting in a different corner and don't have that problem. I mean, that's classic low-level healthy conflict that's better addressed than avoided. The healthy conflict was avoidance. Did you say what the other was or what the others are? Uh, that's a response to unhealthy conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, part of it is uh, personal attacks. Could be an, uh, a, mm. a, bad, um, a bad way. Um, gotcha. har- harboring frustration. I mean, you, if you're acting, acting out of frustration, you're probably doing something wrong, um, especially if the rest of the team is healthy. Mm. And, and you're the one that's frustrated because you're, you're not working through, you're not fully engaging in whatever that yeah. conflict is to, to drive it to resolution, right? Um, as managers, if you're managing or, or any sort of leadership position, if you're leading or managing out of frustration, you're doing it wrong. Like right. th- th- There's something wrong about the way that you're approaching it or the way that you're thinking about it or the way that you're communicating it with the team. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of a, a way to, to see if there's a red flag going on there. Very often those frustrations can be external. You just might notice that a coworker employee is having a bad day or a bad week and it might have nothing to do with work. So sometimes just let it slide and hope they get better in a few days. Other times pull them aside and try to talk it through with them. Yeah, I was thinking through as you were talking about the various options, Colin, or the various responses to unhealthy conflict. And I think case by case, you know, it could be that 
you didn't have the trust you thought you did. Uh, you didn't need to engage conflict at this place where you thought you did. I mean, it could be any number of things, um, or it could be legitimate conflict that we need to have as a team, um, and and someone just not engaging in the right mm-hmm. the right um, attitude or perspective at the time. One thing I've appreciated about working here is uh, calling your encouragement of healthy conflict, whether it's hey, you know, we're, we're talking about one of our SaaS apps and we're throwing out ideas for how to make it better or new features that we want to, you know, um, add to the backlog and then starting to flesh those things out and understand, you know, what that should look like. And there's definitely conflict when you get a bunch of engineers in the room to determine what a feature should look like, what it should do, and, uh, and it's, it's good. Uh, I, I really appreciate that. I think, it, I think it drives the product to be better. Um, than if it were just one guy, you know, behind his desk cranking out requirements for it and envisioning what it should look like. Um, and so I would, I, I really appreciate that as a part of our work environment and just the product life cycle and the way we design things. And uh, I just wanted to call that out. Very cool. Yeah. So uh, mining for conflict is what I would call that. And, and that's actually something that, that I try to do and that we, we do for each other, especially like in our retrospectives. Um, you know, call someone's name and say, "Hey, I've noticed you've been you've been quiet in the meeting. Um, is there anything that that you've got going on that you want to add?" Or sometimes you can just tell on by somebody's face that they disagree with what's being said. <laughs> and so it's good to go ahead and to draw that out to let them speak it, so they can have that that healthy conflict. And so mining for conflict is what I would call that. Um, one of the things that's been important for me personally in in making that a thing is uh, changing the way that I think about conflict in general. Um, my, my personality type is naturally conflict-averse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't want to engage in conflict. Usually usually I'll just kind of suck it up and walk around the problem, if you will. Um, but I realized that part of what was motiva- motivating that is that I felt like that was the nice thing to do. Mm-hmm. I was being kind to the other person. And once I realized that was actually the opposite of what was true, right. that to be unclear um, in most cases is to be unkind, Right. Um, and so to create that conflict and to have a clear conversation about someone, they would much rather that than for you to hold on to a little bit of frustration, if I'm being honest with myself, a little bit of uh, anger is what that emotion would be, and to just walk around the problem and then let that build. H- how is that nicer of me to do that, right? Yeah. And so once I convinced myself that it was actually kinder to that person to engage respectfully uh, in conflict, uh, then it really changed the way that, that I approached it, and it ma- made it to where I actually talk myself into believing that I wanted to engage with it. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. So let's move on to the next uh, layer, which we kind of dipped our toes into earlier, commitment. And for me, and maybe you can help clarify some of my own understanding, Colin, uh, but for me, commitment and accountability, there's there's a little bit of some mixture there. I mean, there's a little bit of overlap uh, there. Once we've gone through our conflict and everyone's had a chance to be uh, heard, not just listened to, but heard, um, you know, express their opinions, various sides of the conflict, work through it, and then the team's going to move forward and commit to one side or another. Um, then we want to see that commitment as a team, which then leads to individual and team accountability. How would you distinguish between those two? Yeah, good question. Um, so commitment is more about, um, a, a lot of times this is best thought about, like, so for example, for a technical team, we would meet in a room and there's some decision to be made. Um, maybe we go with Stephen's earlier example of we're trying to determine the next um, most important features for one of our products, right? And so the, the opinions are all over the place. There, there's, it's clear that not everyone has the same opinion, and if it was left just up to them, they would choose different things, right? 
Um, the key there is that as you walk through that conflict, that, that you walk away and that the team commits to the decision that's made. Mm-hmm. So everyone walking out of that room, you don't have to agree with it. You just have to commit to it. That's the tricky part. <laughs> absolutely. Sometimes. That's yeah. the key absolutely. point in being heard. If you trust your teammates, even if you don't fully agree with something, like let's say the four of us come up with a plan and I have misgivings, but I respect you enough and I recognize that you've heard my misgiving and you all, the, you three of you collectively think that the plan's good anyway, then I'm kind of putting my faith in you that, yeah, I'm going to help these guys because they collectively think it's going to work, even if I'm not sure. And so I'm not complaining about that anymore. Uh, I do my best to give it a fair shot. I'm thinking of the example of estimating work on this one in terms of conflict and then then commitment. So uh, I can think of a couple examples recently of Jesse and I estimating some some future work um, where, I mean, obviously in any estimation meeting, if you have more than one person, you're going to come in with probably different different estimates and we've done episodes an episode on the trouble with estimating episode 15 if you want to hear more Mm -hmm. about that um but you know you have to have the conflict why did you say this why did you say that uh and how are we going to sort of meet either in the middle or maybe one's going to persuade the other kind of thing and then commit to that estimate um and i think one thing that's helpful for me is recognizing uh strengths on the rest of the team like if somebody is naturally better or has more experience at one aspect of whatever it is, it's really easy for me to commit to their opinion on something or their arguments on something, if, especially if I know that that's one of my own personal weaknesses. Um, there are a lot of things that we, because we're all, most of us, not you or you, I guess, but we're engineers, so we do a lot of the same things. But I still think you can see those strengths and weaknesses play out even on, even on a team of engineers, and that's helpful for me. Yeah. I think that's going back to the whole human element of like we're, we're, we're people and we need to relate to people as people. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's on a technical team like this where it's a bunch of developers, a bunch of engineers, then we kind of want people to be robots and we're just not, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so just kind of remembering that we need to relate on human levels to things. And there, there are things like trust that's like, how do you quantify that if you're build, building an algorithm for it? Right. <laughs> it's, it's just really, really hard, right? It'd be uh, nice to have an algorithm, though. It, it sure would be. It sure would be. So that's kind of got me wondering. I know you, now that we're talking story points, uh, <laughs> accountability can be kind of pretty tricky when it comes to agile project management. You don't necessarily yeah. want to hold everybody up and show them, you know, this person gets three feature points per eight hours and this person gets 100 and this person gets one. So you can have some ice cream or, you know, like <laughs> first prize is a Cadillac Eldorado and, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so, uh, it's it's kind of tricky. Like sometimes I feel like it might help my ability to estimate if we did more accountability and review of these were the numbers, this was who came up with the number, this was the the reality, you know, what's the discrepancy and what's, what does that mean for us? in the future. But on the flip side, I don't really want to be focusing on calling each other out and making each other uncomfortable on an every two-week basis. Yeah. So in terms of my earlier question of the distinction between commitment and accountability, I think we're really now clearly moving into the fourth level of the pyramid of accountability. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder to you, Colin, um, if you would just see a distinction between individual accountability and team accountability and how that works on the pyramid. Yeah, absolutely. So the, 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 the pyramid is really talking about more of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah less the individual. And so estimation, for example, is at its core predicting the future, right? Right. <laughs> it's what you're doing a lot of when you're, when you're estimating. Yeah. Um, and so that, that's why 
we don't do a lot of that holding people's feet to the fire. And you said it was going to be four hours and right. you're overtime. So you got to stay late, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> um, and so that, 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 I don't think that's as much what we're talking about with this. It's more about um, maybe approaches to things okay. or it's more about uh, prioritizations that we make as a team. That makes I, mean, sense. I think that's, that's why like product backlog, for example, uh, is, is a good example of mm-hmm. that because um, you're not predicting the future. You're, make, you're making a decision as a team. Um, and then you, you're, you're all uh, be you're willing to be accountable to, to that decision. So, for example, say that we have a product and we could do either feature A or B. We're choosing between them. The the team the, the not consensus, but the decision of the team is B. Um, and so, accountability means that we all have buy into that decision, even if we disagreed, which is the tricky part. Mm-hmm. Um, that we have buy into that decision. And so, if B doesn't produce the thing that we wanted to produce. We don't get to say, well, I, I always thought we should have done A. Right. That That's more like we are accountable mm-hmm. to the decision that the team made. Mm-hmm. All the members yeah. of the team are accountable to that decision. Um, and so it's like, yeah, we, we, we could as a group decide that we should have chosen A instead in hindsight, which is something that happens mm-hmm. sometimes. We want to learn from our, from our mistakes. Um, but we need to, we need to own that decision, right? I think that's more about what that, that accountability is taking on. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of accountability towards team goals. Um, and that's, that's what that last piece is that the results. And so if we make a decision, we commit to it and then, uh, we're accountable to it again, even if we disagreed, um, then we also have to make sure that our decisions are producing the results that we're trying to get. Right. Um, and if not, then we all own that together as a team. There's not outliers, if you will. Um, that doesn't mean that you never revisit a decision. Um, but it means that you, you do that as a team. Yeah, and we have built-in ways to do that in mm-hmm. retrospectives and, exactly and right. other things. Yeah. So um, if we say we all estimated we were going to hit 40 points in this two-week sprint and it looks like we got 20, rather than going to figure out who to blame, we figure <laughs> out, okay, what went wrong? Now, what's a more realistic number for our next sprint and what are we going to do about that? So that seems like, a, that seems like accountability to me is collectively figuring out how to change our discussion a bit and change our goals for the next sprint, not so much... Going back and figuring out, yeah, I think who took you, a long lunch break. <laughs> was really bad at programming or whatever. I think it can also look like within a sprint. Uh, say you've just been smoking it and you're cranking through stories, and if there's 40 points in the sprint, let's say you have 15 as an individual, and you know there's five team members. Um, instead of like coasting for the rest of the sprint because you feel like you've made your contribution. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe maybe accountability looks like, listen, as a team, we've committed to this 40 points. Yeah. And I'm going to pair with this other guy who seems like, you know, he picked up the hardest story in the sprint or whatever, um, continuing to contribute because the goal is, as a team, to complete what was committed to. Mm-hmm. It seems like it would be such a hard thing to assess blame on anyway because, <laughs> I mean, if you're looking at, you know, you're trying to get 40 points among five people, whatever it is. I mean, we're kind of right. making up the numbers here. Yeah. But among five people across 20 stories, I don't know, they're, you know, they're all different amounts of time, amounts of points. And sometimes you miss bigger than others. And sometimes you miss high on one and then you miss low on another. So it evens out. So it's just hard right. to, if you just happen to get a bunch of small stories. Yeah. You know, it'd be hard to assess all the variables in that one. I think one thing also that I've learned uh, in the sort of the retrospective um, assessing results, evaluating results kind of conversation that you're talking about, Daniel, um, is that we make a habit of starting with what we did well first. I remember one time, and it was me, I asked, why don't we start with what we did, what we could do better first and then Mm -hmm. end with what we did well? 
So sort of end on a high note, which sounded good, uh, but the meeting actually was really not as productive <laughs> because we didn't start on a high right. note. Um, and so I think we kind of learned that lesson that there is something about starting with, okay, how did we do and what were the positive things? What are the things we did yeah. well that we want to keep doing, even if we missed by 20 points, whatever it yeah. was, mm. you know? You get a lot more agreeing on the, the positive parts. Once you get into people, the ritual airing of grievances, you can get lost in the weeds. You know, one <laughs> person can go for half an hour with the thing that really bugged them, you know? But if I just say, man, Ben really did a great job this week, I'm, I'm glad I'll get three people agreeing and that, that's written down in the notes. We can move on. And then time's up and then we just move on. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to me too how much uh, the what we did well side is personal here yeah. too. Like Daniel did a really great job implementing, you know, whatever it was and here's why as opposed to this system worked really well. And sometimes we have those two, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think that speaks back to the level of trust and uh, just individual you know, relationship that we have, that we have with each other um, that we, we kind of are looking at how we're doing well mm-hmm. together. Looping back around to something we said earlier, I'm actually going to kind of push back on it a little bit just because Let's do it. Um, one of the reasons that you do want that accountability later is to hold each other accountable to the, re- to what the team has decided. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. And so for example, if there, if there was a milestone that we were trying to hit, yeah. right. uh, we, we had the example of someone taking, taking long lunches yeah. and, and slacking off. Like because you as a team have uh, committed to this, right. then it is up to the, the, the members of the team to say, you know, Hey Ben, like, looks like you may not be pulling your weight here. I don't want to assume, but that's how I, you know, you, you can soften it by saying, this is how I feel. Yeah. If I'm wrong, then tell me I'm wrong. But if I'm not, then I want to encourage you to, to, to pick it up. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like maybe you're distracted. You know, maybe, maybe ask a question like, is, is everything okay at home? You know, like, was right. this your preferred way of telling me, Colin? I mean, I definitely talk, talk to agree. me about your lunch breaks, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about long lunch breaks. Yeah. <laughs> I agree that it's good to watch time. people. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, on the results side, um, it's really a, a matter of focusing on the team's results, uh, the the result of the team goals, as opposed to individual recognition. That's another important distinction there, is that sometimes we've been on teams before where uh, an individual or maybe maybe ourselves, we, we were just more focused on like how we looked on the project instead of like what the team was trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And so it's really team team results. Team goals, team results is that last piece that we really need to make sure that we're, mm. that we're focusing on. I guess individual recognition is, is more the positive um, uh, expression of the crab in a bucket syndrome. You know, like you're not being negative about it, you are being positive, but you're still elevating self above team. Mm. Right. So. And, and it doesn't mean that we never compliment each other right. for individual contributions. That's not what it means. It just means that in general, our focus is not on what makes us look good. Right. It's on what makes the team successful. Yeah. Right. Well said. So we've covered a lot of ground today, um, but just to summarize, as we sort of wrap up, um, we talked about this category of thing that is inherent in teamwork, mm-hmm. even among um, teams of developers, teams of technical folks um, who write code even, uh, and that is, we called it leadership, that, that that's a thing that we need to know about and care about and uh, invest time in doing better at, um, and that that's a job of everybody, uh, regardless of your, your role or your sphere of influence, that leadership is something that we all have a part in. Um, And then we talked about the specific framework that we use here, uh, this pyramid of success, we sometimes jokingly Mm -hmm. call it. Uh, But but really, um, the five-layer pyramid of trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, and then results. And really, we had some healthy conflict right here on this episode, didn't we? Yeah, I think so. Nice. And uh, just 
full disclosure, this triangle was not original to us. That's right. It did come from a book. It's from uh, Lincioni's, Lincioni's, excuse me, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. So yeah. if you like to read all about the triangle in more depth, then uh, that's where you will find it. We have put our own little twist on it, I we suppose. Have. We but, have. But yeah, we did get the first idea from mm-hmm. the book. So yeah, that's good. Well, thanks for joining us today. Um, and you can jump in the conversation on Twitter at clear function or hashtag it depends. We'd love to hear from you about anything that uh, maybe you agree with or disagree with or anything that encouraged or challenged you, anything you'd love to contribute to the conversation. We'd like to hear it. So reach out to us on Twitter. Thanks, guys. Thank you. You've been listening to It Depends, a podcast by Clear Function. Clear Function is a group of happy engineers based in Memphis, Tennessee. We partner with visionaries to bring their ideas to life. For more information, check out our website at clearfunction.com.